I'm really excited to announce our very first sponsor of Exponentially Empowered, which is the Drom dating app. I know the founder of this product personally. He is all about growth mindset and our message on this show to build a beautiful new world. And this app can contribute to that because most dating apps suck. They're basically fast food face swiping apps. It's not based on the inner world. It's not based on core values. And Drom changes all that where you can create deal breakers such as growth mindset or political philosophy or religion or how to raise children, any core values. You can match with someone anywhere in the world, not just in your geographic location, anywhere in the world in order to connect with someone with your core values. So what if you could say, only show me people with a growth mindset who want kids and want to unschool them. That sounds phenomenal. And the other thing is, it's only video-based. There's no pictures. There's no texts. It's only video profiles and video chats. So this is more human and reduces disappointment when you do meet in real life. Drom lets you design your perfect match. There are no experts in match percentages. You pick exactly what you want and you only get those matches. If you don't find a deal breaker or a deal maker that's important to you, you can add your own and everybody sees it once it's approved. Drom is totally free. It's on Apple and Android phones and tablets. If you want to install the app, go to drom.date slash empowered. Click the Apple or Android button. Use the invite code empowered to sign up. That's D-R-O-M dot D-A-T-E slash empowered. Use the invite code empowered. Get signed up, design, and create your perfect match. I'm here live in person with Kevin Casquella. We're in Austin, Texas, where we both live. Now, Kevin is someone that... I listened to his shows for several years in my 20s. We had the Healthy Mind Fit Body podcast that he was doing with Wes Bertrand, and then his own show, Freedom Loving Podcast. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to be here with you because for like many years in my 20s, I was like listening to you through my earbuds and learning and feeling inspired and like upbeat energy from you and learning about health and fitness and psychology. And you always brought, you were traveling all over the world. Um, and I always felt this like sense of, well, the sense of freedom and like uh, positivity and lightheartedness was what came through. And I always, it was always like a, a sort of a, oasis for me to listen to those podcasts and be like oh this is this is so nice to be in this space and now you know, flash forward to 2021 and now we're we're good friends and been hanging out here in Austin this past year so welcome to the show Kevin thanks Joel it's amazing to be here and I, I just want to say that you're special because I don't know if you realize this but you were a freedom loving listener I don't know if I had more than about six listeners. So <laughs> you're, you're in an elite group there of one of the, one of the few that stuck it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always curious. Well, let's, let's talk about freedom. Like that's like your core value. Like I'd love to talk about freedom. 
What is freedom to you? Freedom is the ability to be able to live your life how you want to live it. And on the negative side, it's the not having the unchosen obligations. What's an example of an unchosen obligation that a typical person has who's not thinking about freedom? Just one example or many? <laughs> I think most people live with a lot of these. Yeah, whatever comes to mind. Um, a mortgage, a marriage, um, a mother-in-law, uh, parents. So something like mortgage, like I'm thinking about buying a house and... I think what you're identifying is like an, a mortgage that you are unconsciously taking on. Like you're not seeing the cost benefit there and you think you're supposed to have a house in order to yeah. fulfill some blueprint of an existence. Right. And yeah, man, like there's a, a sense of, of sort of obligation or attachment to being tied to a single property, but it's also benefits. We don't you know, talk about that in particular, but like, it sounds like freedom in, in all these areas is, are you living the life that you want to live? Right. Like parents, most people are unconsciously saying, oh, I need to have a relationship with my parents because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Versus I'm a free agent and I don't know anybody, anything. Right. So how did you like get into freedom and in, in terms of like your essence and I mean, we can talk about like political philosophy, but I'm more curious about, your sense of that as your core value and that as something that is personally meaningful to you. Like when is the time when you first started uncovering or cultivating that as a core value? Well, when I was a kid, I often got sent to my room. So I spent a lot of time in my room. Now, the good thing about that was that in my room, I had a globe of the world. So a lot, a lot of time I would spend just looking at that globe and looking at all the different parts of the world and different islands over here and continents and countries and capital cities and, and mountains and oceans and everything. And I just was absolutely fascinated by, by this world. And so on the, the, on the negative, it was, it was a punishment and I was supposed to stay in my room and I, and I absolutely hated that because it felt like I was in prison, you know, like if I, if I leave this room, the, this, the confines of this room, there's, there's something really bad is going to happen if I, if I try to leave. So I'm stuck. And so that, that got, that got my, my mind focused around, you know, I, I want to be free. I, I, I want freedom. And so Really, it wasn't until I went away from home and I was able to get some level of freedom from just the family structure and the strict kind of upbringing that I had that I, I just dove right into like, oh, I can do whatever I want now. Like this is this is what I want. And it felt so amazing, you know, at least at first. 
until I failed a class and then it didn't feel so amazing. It sounds like you were in touch with that sense of desire for freedom, which I think everyone is born with. It's a need, right? It's a need for autonomy, independence, freedom, Mm -hmm. choice. And most of us, or you could say most of our culture, we end up disassociating from that through authoritarian parenting and, and, and compulsory schooling. And so we, we learn to not be in touch with our needs. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you weren't going to do that. Like you got sent to your room mm-hmm. and you didn't wallow in apathy. Like you were in touch with the frustration of having this confinement and you didn't lose the spark. And so you saw the globe and you're like, I want freedom. Yeah. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And what I was thinking of when you were talking is about how you hear the kind of traditional, uh, how people describe like growing up. You go through different phases in your childhood and then people will say, yeah, when I was a teenager, I was a rebel and, you know, I hated my parents and I would do this and that and the other thing. And I, I rebelled in every way I could. And, and then I came to my senses when I, you know, I got, became an adult. And I think, but what you just said is, is very, um, it resonates in that I actually was not a rebel when I was a teenager. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And I maybe rebelled a little bit, you know, like in my head, but I wasn't doing the typical like going out drinking or getting high or, uh, you know, these kind of things. I was just very, you know, I studied, I went to class. I, I never missed a you know, class and, and that kind of stuff. But, um, but then, but I held on to that through my life where I was like, no, there is, there's a part of uh, like teenagers, you're like your teenage self, that, that, that rebel part that I think a lot of people just kind of let go of and they go, oh no, that, that's in the past. That's, that's gone. It's bad. And I was, I was a fool. I was an idiot. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. But I think that there is something to, to be said for having, you know, really being in touch with that teenage self, that, that rebel part of, of, I think, almost everybody has. Because that's when you're sort of becoming, you're transitioning into adulthood. And, uh, and I think that you're right. I think I, I have, I'm, I've stayed more in touch with that teenage self over the years um, as opposed to just saying, Oh, well, that's, you know, that's just in the past. And, and then doing the, the typical thing where it's like, oh, I was stupid. I was, I was being an idiot. And, and I could tell stories about, you know, idiotic things I did in, in school when I was in college and, and stuff like that. But, um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, there's a value to, you know, we talk about like, you know, we could, we could talk about IFS and, and parts work. Um, it's valued being in touch with all parts of your, yourself, child, uh, teenage and adult. Yeah, I love that. The the teenage self, I feel like, gets... uh, It's underrated Mm -hmm. in what you just described. Like, in personal growth, people talk about the inner child. But that teenage self, especially in our culture... I mean, the idea of a teenager is... An adolescence is a relatively new concept for humans. You know? Um, But it is a real concept, given the way that we're raised in these school environments and we're not really free when we're in many ways physically fully grown by the time you're 17 or whatever, but you're still stuck in, in these school environments and under the, the helm of your parents. 
So, yeah, I think the ideal is to have, again, it's you're in touch with your, your own desires where you're not rebelling for the sake of rebellion. Um, but you're choosing, you're choosing freely, autonomously when you're going to follow the rules and when you're not going to follow the rules based on what you want. Right. Um, but I'm curious more about what you said that you, you did kind of follow the rules as a kid. You, you studied and you didn't, you know, quote unquote misbehave in the eye of the the adults. (laughs) Like, were you conscious of that or were you sort of being a good kid, you know, in a typical sense to avoid pain and punishment and maybe get approval as well. Um, or were you conscious that, okay, this is, this is a messed up environment. I'll, I'll follow these rules, but it's, I think it's BS, but I'll do it just so that people leave me alone. Like where were you in terms of awareness about how you were following the rules? I generally, I don't think I was much of a rules follower in general, but when it came to like my parents, uh, Mm. I, I didn't feel the autonomy to really go against what their wishes were. I mean, in terms of like what I can do, what I can't do, I need to be in bed at this time and you need to do your homework. And and I I never thought of this as a, as like any of this as an option. So it didn't occur to me that what was, you know, this, this kind of environment, I didn't, it didn't occur to me what was actually happening. It was just, this is, this is what I'm presented with. And I saw these kids at school that were rebelling in their own ways. And, you know, there was like the stoner crowd and, um, and, and a lot of, a lot of kids were, you know, like drinking alcohol and, and cutting class. That was a big thing. And I, I just, I just thought like, why would I do that? That, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I, that, why, like I, I wasn't happy with my, with my home life, but I'm like, why would I go and smoke weed or something? Like it just, it didn't make any sense to do, to go that route. So I, on that scale, I think I was more ignorant until I actually got out of that environment. And then I could start to see, oh, I really, I really crave freedom and, and I, I crave um, the ability to make my own decisions. So what was your relationship with school? Were you getting good grades and all that? So it depends on, I mean, when I was young, I, I, when I was in my elementary school years, I always got good scores or grades or whatever it was. Um, when I got to high school, I had all kinds of different things. I went to four different high schools. So, uh, we moved after my first year and then I went to two different schools and then I went back to my original school. And, um, I actually went to high school in eighth grade. We had this weird system where it was like eighth through 12th and they were, they were experimenting. They were just doing this experiment just for a couple of years. And, um, going in eighth grade, I loved it because I didn't want to go to junior high. I I wanted to get out of my elementary school, but I didn't want to go to junior high because I heard terrible things. So we got into high, went into high school and, uh, the thing that I remember about that year was that I was getting almost all A's and yet doing almost no work because the school I was at was so easy. Like every class that I had, I was like the, do you ever see that movie Idiocracy? No. Oh, okay. There's a reference to that where I suddenly was like the genius in, in some of my classes, like, like kids around me were going, Oh my God, you're so smart. Like I would get an A on a test. And I didn't even study for the test, but I'm like, 
somehow because I was put in with like the average kids, they all thought I was a genius. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not even trying. I'm not, I don't feel smart at all. I don't feel like, you know, but they were like, oh yeah, you're like so smart. And, uh, so, so that I, I kind of just coasted that at that point, cause I, I, I didn't, I felt like it would be hard not to get A's in a lot of these classes. And then as I got in, into my, and then I went to private school and things became a lot harder, a lot more kids that were actually, you know, wanted to pay attention and learn things. And, um, so I, I, I got into that environment and I still got pretty good grades, but I was, I was finding that my motivation as I was going forward in high school was slipping. And then we moved and I went to a, back to a public school and I had, it was back to being easy again, but my motivation levels were way low. And I, so I just, I really just did almost nothing. And I, I, I coasted by for a couple of years getting B's. Um, and I, I didn't care about any of my classes. I felt like none of the teachers cared. Like I had, I had very few classes where I felt even the, even like an ounce of, of, they care about us learning. So therefore my response was, oh, they don't care. Well, then I don't care. I'm not going to put effort into this. I don't like, I see what's happening. I have, I mean, you know, there were stories. I mean, I had a teacher, I remember breakdown crying in front of the whole class and she lost control of our class. And I'm like, this is a learning. I remember thinking I was like 15, 16 years old. And I'm like, this is a learning environment. I'm not learning anything. And so that was, uh, that was kind of how it was for my, the middle part of high school where I just, I just didn't have motivation, but I got by with like B's because you didn't have to do much to get a B. So it's funny. You just sparked a memory for me of being in second grade and the teacher was, you know, disciplining some kid about some behavior thing. And I remember thinking very vividly, like, I thought school was about learning, not like, what, why is she even doing that? What's going on over here? Yeah. Like, and then he, like now I know, like, I mean, I, I know a lot about school and you realize, oh, it's really about that. You know, it's yeah. really about these hidden lessons of school. Yeah. Uh, but it's so, it's so tragic because, you know, it's, it's hard for both adults and kids. And I can speak to, to both sides of it. Right. And, you know, these these teachers are often putting forth a lot of effort, but they're so strapped by the coercion that's baked into the system and that's coming from all sides. And they're not even conscious of it. You know, from the, the funding is coerced, the attendance of their uh, supposed customers. <laughs> yeah is coerced and then the coercion from the top with the curriculum and and it's just lose lose in this way and so there can be a lot of frustration that they end or apathy that comes for them and that ends up projecting onto the kids right and on one hand it's like well you can maybe even understand like you, you can understand and empathize with the teacher but then it's like well you can't you can't uh Blame the kids for being frustrated. Yeah. They're like in particularly need more empathy because they have no choice. Right. The, right. The teacher can leave and find a new job like I did. Yeah. <laughs> but the kids are, are not. And so you're just stuck and you're just and you're you're taking in all this energy from the apathetic drained teacher. And you're just like, fuck that. You know? Yeah. 
why would I want to learn? So it's just it's just so tragic because we could have all the the, the talents that the adults do have and the, the passions. If we had a free a free world, yeah, or a, vol- a voluntary education where there are actual true customers, and it's it's based on the interests of of the child, the family, and etc. And there's this match, you know. Yeah. So I, I, know, I just pre- so I appreciate that like you're in touch with that spirit that you had that you were like not motivated. And again, yeah. you're kind of like connected to this teenage self and not denying and disowning that and then becoming a well-adjusted adult, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's what people do. Like you're saying earlier, you had a rebellious phase and then you, then you grew up and became well-adjusted. This yeah. is the typical path for people in our culture. Right. And you kind of exile, to take the IFS term, internal family systems term, uh, people exile this teenage part, it's disowned and... And tucked away, and then the false self of this a well-adjusted adult takes over, mm-hmm. and then that gets projected when that person's an adult onto their own kids. Yeah, you know, like it. It, it, it really interests. Really interesting how people just like in our culture don't respect teenagers. Right. And I remember experiencing that as a teenager, mm-hmm. and I, I remember thinking like, oh, when I'm an adult, I want to be in touch. And remember, and like not look down upon teenagers. Yeah. And I've, for the most part, stayed in touch with that. Anyway, it, it's 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 just that's really powerful to be in touch with, with uh, that teenage self, and then carrying it forth, which it sounds like what you've done, into your, into your adult life. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, like we talk about, like the modern, you know, the current, current day, the problems that we we face with with COVID restrictions and stuff like that. And, and I, I always have this complaint that it's like, there's no more punk rock. And I look, I look at it like that. Like we just, we, Oh, teenagers are all idiots and they're all like, you know, and, but there's no, that there's, there's this like suppression or repression of that, of that, the teenage self that is rebellious. And that's like the, what I call is like the punk rock. Like there's no pushback anymore. It's just all just fall in line. And I feel like that's come from all this, like the, like what you just said about like the, um, how did you say it? <laughs> you said like a, a, an exile comes forward. Yeah. The exile, well, the teenage self's exiled and like disappears. Right. right. That's why it's called exile. It's gone. It's locked away. And then the false self takes over and just, it just suppresses or represses. Yeah. Right. yeah I'm thinking about George Carlin right now. Can you imagine if Jordan, George Carlin were around? Oh, in, in, right now in, in all this, his all Twitter this... account would be just <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of stand-up comics who are conforming and not bringing out that punk rock. Yeah, and I've heard people, um, different stand-up comics who are are like willing to be politically incorrect. Um, talk about this. Like, there's a lot of just generic comics now who aren't bringing out that sense of. Of no, I'm not gonna just obey you, you yeah. know that's the spirit we need um, so okay, so that was kind of your experience growing up, and you went into you, you mentioned like going to college and having all, college and having all this freedom, 
and then it was then you failed your first class. I wanted to circle back to that. Like, oh yeah, flesh that out. Yeah, so I uh, went away to college, and I went. I specifically went away to a school that was about seven hours drive from uh, where I grew up because I didn't want to have the option of coming back like on weekends and you know just because I know I, I might fall into a pattern like that. So I, I I did the thing where I'm like, no, I'm going away because I need to get away. Like I have to be forced out and have independence and have like to deal with all that and to deal with being alone and all that stuff. I knew I needed that. And so I got to school and it was kind it kind of felt like, um, like a summer camp where it was like, yeah, we had school, there was classes to go to, but that seemed, that was an option. There was nobody forcing me to go to class. So guess what? I didn't go to fucking class. <laughs> like I just, I'm like, I mean, I went to the you know first couple of weeks I was going, and then it was like, oh, this is all an option. Well, I'm exercising my option, and so and the other thing is like I grew up with a bedtime, and I always had to go to bed at like ten or maybe ten thirty at the latest. And even if I was like watching a movie or something, you'd be like, oh, time to go to bed. And so when I got away to school, and all of a sudden I could decide my bedtime. Well, shit, <laughs> like. There are video games to play. Like I'm not going to bed. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> so I I connected with a, a friend in my dorm, and we started playing video games like late into the night. And we had this one game that we played that was like an adventure game, and it, you could just play it for you know years. And we would just go all the way into the night, and I would I would be up till four in the morning, and I had no desire to get up for any eight a.m. classes. So I started missing all these classes, and I remember I missed a um, I almost missed a, a math midterm and I showed up with like 20 minutes to go to take my midterm <laughs> and I totally failed it like completely miserably failed it even though I kind of knew the information I just was like I could I only had time to fill out the bubbles for like a third of the test so um but but then yeah then I it's it came to the end of that so that first quarter of of school and I had this economics class and of course you know what was I learning there anyway it, was learning a bunch of garbage. It was like Keynesian yeah. economics, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really, really, really boring. And I never went. I never went to the class. And I thought I'd just read the book before like the test, but I didn't even do that because I just wasn't into it. And then I failed the, the first test. And then I thought, well, I'll just t- take it pass, no pass. And that, would, that wouldn't count against my GPA. And then I forgot to do that. <laughs> So I forgot to sign up for that. And then it came to the, the like, like two weeks before the end, the final. And I was like, oh, well, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just, I went to the final not having gone to class in a few weeks and not having read the book. So somehow, I, I don't know even why I went, but I just like took guesses at all the answers. And then I got an F and it was like, okay, so this is what happens. You know, I mean, I, I, I always, th- I think of it when I thought back on it, like what, what happened that first quarter, I, I think of it as like the, um, the prohibition of alcohol. Like you, you make alcohol illegal and there's all kinds of negatives about alcohol and you think, well, then the problems will go away. But the problem is you're just suppressing something that's going to be pushed out on in, 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 in the edges. And if, if you keep suppressing all of this, then it's going to just burst out in some way that is not going to be healthy. And so I felt like my whole spirit was kind of repressed for 18 years or 17 years or whatever. And then I, and then all of a sudden I got out and I had like some freedom and it was like, I'm just going to exercise every aspect of freedom that I, that I can. And so it didn't, it doesn't 
it didn't work. You know, I, I think the, the 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 absolute you know going strict and you have to do all these things and um, you know be home by nine and all, all that stuff. I, I think it, it it just doesn't work. Just like alcohol, just like forbidding alcohol doesn't work. And then you learned that. You would fail a class if you stayed up to 4 a.m. and didn't go to class. And Now, whether or not you actually cared about that class is another story, but you were the broader lesson became cause and effect because you experienced it. Yeah. So then you were like, oh, this is a result from my own actions now that I'm on my own. So, yeah, you know, it goes back to trust, right? Talk about on the show all the time, the fear and distrust in the culture where... Like your upbringing sounds like, well, there's a lot of strictness and rules because of what? Well, parents are fearful that if they do not give you rules, then you will be off the charts, mm-hmm. like not taking care of yourself, etc. You won't be able to go to, you won't get good sleep if they don't like in a, in a very top down way, enforce your bedtime. Right. Rather than allowing you the space to make choices, I mean, there's something to be said about about setting limits, and that's like a more nuanced conversation about parenting. But sure. you know, the the the, bar, the broader principle is: can the child have the autonomy and the intrinsic motivation and the ability to learn cause and effect? Mm-hmm. So, like now, I know, like you, like both both you and I value sleep. Yeah. And so <laughs> we are intrinsically motivated about that. And it's not really coming from a place of following your rules. Right. You know, it's because you're more you're more in touch with the why. But if you're just following rules, you're you're out of touch with the why. Yeah. Yeah, in fact the culture doesn't doesn't really value sleep. So we're, we're kind of going against we're being rebels. By, yeah, right. By, by, by valuing sleep. It is. It's, it, it is interesting. Like that's, that's something that I've, I've noticed that is that it's like, if you want to leave a party early, it's like, there's, it's all these people going, why would you leave? And it's like, oh, I just want to go to sleep. What? No, you can sleep later. It doesn't matter. Sleep when you're dead. Sleep when you're dead. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a symptom of people being disassociated from their own needs. Right. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't need to do that. Because uh, they're not connected to themselves, you know, not nourishing. I mean, it's not to say that you never, you know, make exceptions and right and whatnot. But or like you have some flexibility. But yeah, it's this sort of intrinsic motivation. And when it comes to health, and this is a big thing you taught me, or like you and Wes on that podcast started mm-hmm. really tapping into the Healthy Mind Fit Body podcast is like nutrition, health. It's about really the self esteem. You know, it's about getting, getting connected to the the true motivation. So I'm curious to hear more about, you know, as you you grew up and and individuated into your adult life and really started taking measures to implement freedom. And specifically, one of your influences is Harry Brown Mm -hmm. and his book, how I found freedom in an unfree world, which I read for the first time uh, last year, and it's like really hard to find now. Yeah. But I'm curious how you came across that book and why it was so impactful. Hmm. 
By the way, you can get it on PDF uh, for free. Or I think if you go to harrybrown.org, it, it, might, oh, really? it might be 10 bucks, but you could also get a free copy on the uh, many places. And um, Yeah, so just a side note. But I was... 2008, I was... Um, having a lot of difficulties in my marriage at the time. And I started to gravitate towards uh, the whole self-improvement world. And uh, it was, I started actually with Stefan Molyneux. I'd been, I'd been listening to him. And what one thing that, that really got me with, with one of the things that he said, um, because I'd come out of the Ron Paul movement and I, I thought that was the most important thing in the world at the time, 2008, Ron Paul. And then I discovered Stefan Molyneux. At first, I didn't like him at all. I was like, this guy's a dick. Like, I don't, I don't like him. He's got a weird accent. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's super, head. he's arrogant. He's like, uh, I don't know. But then I, you know, like Wes was sending me some of his YouTube videos and I was like listening and I was like, there's something to it though. There's something that I, it, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. And and I, and I started down this path of, I, I started listening from episode one and I listened to like, I don't remember, hundreds of episodes. And then he, he was talking about politics. And, I, and, and again, I just come out of the whole Ron Paul thing. And he said one thing that he said, he goes, you guys that are in the Ron Paul, you know, the, 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 you Ron Paulers, um, he's like, this isn't about politics. This isn't about you. you are looking at it like we need to have this, this, you know, white knight come in here and save the country. And that's how you're looking at it. But it, it, it goes much deeper than that. And he said, this is about your father. And I was like, wow. Like I, it just, it struck me. I remember the moment that, that's, that, that just really struck me. I was like, he's like, yeah, this is about the needs that you weren't getting met with your father. And he said it with like this confidence and, and it hit me like so hard. It was like, holy shit, I have to reevaluate a lot right now. And this is like at the beginning of when I was having problems with my wife, we were having a lot of issues. And, and I, I took that seriously. And then, so I, that, uh, the Harry Brown book had been on my radar and I finally ordered it on Amazon. I paid like $90 for it or something because it was like there was hardly any copies and it took like three weeks to get to me or something. I remember it was like this big deal. But but that that was like one that was one of the first books I read at that time period where I was like I got to change something I got to really figure this stuff out and so yeah like Ron Paul actually led me to Harry Brown in a, in a really strange way but it really had more to do with the psychology and then I read the book and I and I read it it's it's kind of a big book but I read it like super fast and I was like that was the best book I've ever read like it was so, so helpful because it was just every step of the way. It was describing things that you are doing and you are likely doing in your life that are making you not free and then how you can be free. And it was like, it was super uplifting and lots of ideas that you could just start doing. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know if that, that was a long answer, but. Well, what were the, what were some examples from that book that, that some concepts that that you can share with the listeners that really stood out and you started implementing right away. Like he talks about different traps you can fall into, like the yeah. identity trap and box trap. And then he talks about this general philosophy of, of indirect versus direct alternatives. Right. And sort of chiseling out your freedom 
turning away from the system rather than fighting against it. So like, maybe those are some of the principles that really stood out to you at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but like, what was, what were some concepts that you really started gravitating towards right away? It actually was a a chapter that kind of gets overlooked because I think he might've even, he changed his position on it in a later version or maybe just in real life, he he changed his mind on it. But it, what, because I was going through the marital problems, it was the, it was the chapter on marriage that, that that was what got me. It was like, wow, I'd never thought of it this way, but he laid out the case for non-marriage. And that is where you own yourself. You, you could, you could be in a partnership with someone, but you always own yourself. And that, that really resonated with me. I was like, all this time, I never thought of it this way. I, I don't own any part of her. She doesn't own any part of me. And so all like the whole relationship could be made so much better with this concept. And, you know, and some people, there's all kinds of reasons to get married. Sometimes it's because you need a visa or whatever, but, but the, but the kind of traditional marriage is like, okay, now we're married. Now we're sharing everything. So it's, it's all common property. And we did that. I did that in my marriage. We had a bank account. We had one bank account and we put all our money into that. Didn't matter who earned it, who did. And then spending, we never talked to each other about like, do we have a, do we have uh, any rules around spending money? No, we didn't have it. That caused all kinds of stress and conflict. And of course, because it's com- it's community property and it's like, you're, it's like you're running a communist relationship. Yes. It sounds, it sounds funny, but it's like true. That, that's, that's how I, I realized that reading that chapter, I was like, okay, I've been doing, we've been doing this completely wrong. And I, and I told my, my wife at the time, I said, I think no matter what we decide here, whether we stay together or not, we should probably get a divorce. <laughs> like, even if we stay together, I think <laughs> getting a divorce would be the best thing because we need to acknowledge that we are two individual human beings and not, it doesn't matter what the state says and what contract, you know, we, we signed this thing with the state and we got married in a church and all this stuff and everybody was there to witness it. And none of that matters. It, it, it just comes down to the simple fact that you own yourself. And that was, that was like, for me, that was like a huge revelation. Yeah. It goes back to that consciousness where there's so many people just on autopilot and getting married because mm-hmm. that's what you do. Right. And then, oh, and now we share bank accounts. That's what we do. Right. And we own this couch <laughs> together. He talks about like each piece of property within the house is defined as one person's property. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm still sort of churning on on that whole chapter. Um, but again, it goes back to the principle of consciousness, where I, I think, and then I'm not, now I'm thinking about, like, did you read um, Finite Infinite Games no. by James Cars? No. Just, like, getting to this mindset of everything is a game, and how can you be an infinite player, Ooh. where the goal is to keep playing the game, rather than the finite mindset is, like, well, these are the rules, and you do this. So he talks about you can be an f- infinite player in a finite game. So you could say marriage is a finite game mm-hmm. because of these restrictions. But like, you could go in and say, you know, I want to get married. And I understand that there's these re- constrictions here and that it's like bullshit that the state is involved at all. Um, but I'm going to do it because I get this benefit and I, like, I don't get take it too seriously. That's different than, well, I get married, of course. Like non-consciousness. Yeah. You know, but there is a lot of merit to what he's saying about separate bank accounts and everything's 
just an extension of the principle of self-ownership. And I'm curious to, to potentially integrate that. Um, but yeah, like he, he, he takes some of these unconventional positions. Um, tell me more about the traps. Like you're more, you've dived into his work more and Mm -hmm. I've just kind of recently absorbed it. Um, what experience, are there any stories or examples of ways that you applied what he talks about these different traps and, or just explain what he's what he's saying by these traps in general. Yeah, first. I mean, we we trap ourselves in life, and we we have actually a lot more control over our own freedom than a lot of us really know, and that's kind of the basis of the beginning of the book. And so there's all these different ways that we trap ourselves and say, "Oh, I can't do this because of X, Y, Z," and it's most of the time. That's not even true. You can do these things. Like he uses the beginning of the book. He uses the example of taxation. And he says, people say, oh, I just, the, the government takes too much of my money. So I don't have enough money. And he's like, you could do something about that. There's lots of ways to get around taxes legally. And you could pay almost, he's like, I pay almost no taxes, but yet I make pretty good money. And there's a lot of situations like that where we're, we're just not taking control over our own lives. And so, uh, I mean, there's, you know, I think that some of the ones that were more impactful for me, well, the bad investment trap would be one that it's like, that can apply to not just investments, like financial investments that you make, but I think that really, that concept really helps a lot with all parts of life. Like it could be a relationship. Oh, we've already been together for a year uh, I can't break up now, even if it's the wrong relationship, staying in it for way too long because you've already done it for so long. So many people do this. I've done it before and I'm getting better at it now, but it's still something that I understand. Like with a relationship, you just get used to being with that person and it's, it's not a good fit. It's not a good relationship, but you sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost. what he's saying. Yeah. In that one, right. Yeah. Sunk cost. And it, and it could be, it could be a friendship. It could be, um, the place that you live, like, well, I've always lived here. I, I, I can't move. Why not? Yeah. Like, why not? You, you do your life your way. You know, you yeah. don't have to, you don't have to play by anyone else's rules or book or anything. So yeah, it's just recognizing this principle of self-ownership in every area. Yeah. You know, taxation, it's like when you're on autopilot, you're like, oh, well, taxes is part of life, you know? Pay taxes. It's the only certainty of life. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hate that expression. I hate that too. <laughs> Because it's like, even if there's a freaking gun to your head, you still have a choice. Right. And when you get into that, like, yes, there's a concept of, well, this isn't a true choice because it's under duress, right? Mm -hmm. There's a gun to my head, so I I have no choice. And it's like, you still have the choice. Yeah. You know, uh, like, there could be a better option than just blind obedience right and maybe it's actually i'm just thinking about maybe it was you i know you had uh jordan harbinger on your show at some point mm-hmm. i remember him maybe it was another podcast i heard him talking about traveling and he had a gun pulled on him oh yeah like in south america yeah and then he he learned that like he needed to like not get in the car even though they had a gun pulled on him right say get in the car yeah but that would be the more dangerous decision right. to like be trapped in the vehicle. Exactly. 
And so he learned to forget the exact nature of the story, the, the details, but the message was, no, even though, even though there's a gun to my head, I'm going to say no and resist this. Yeah. That's actually the safer choice. Yeah. Given that context. But it just goes to, to, to say that no matter what, you are an autonomous free agent. Yeah. And you can say no when you want to say no. And yes, when you want to say yes, there's going to be co- um, cause and effect. There's going to be consequences. And you want to be aware of the context and dynamics and power dynamics. Uh, but to just raise consciousness and realize that you have agency. You can choose where you live. You can ch- you can choose to change careers. You can yeah. choose to not pay taxes. You can choose all sorts of things. You can not have a relationship with your parents. It's a big yeah. one. That's that's the big one with Stefan Molyneux. We can talk more about that potentially. Um, but that's so empowering because then if you maybe you do decide, oh, I'll just it's easier. I I I want to pay taxes. I don't want to, but like I will because for whatever yeah. reason. That, but you're conscious of it. Instead of this mm-hmm. stimulus response, well, there, I must obey. I mean, be a good, a good citizen. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's just like you. You talked about. We were talking about the mortgage thing earlier, and that's one of the common ones of the, um, the bad investment trap, where, where it's like people just put this thing on themselves, and they go, well, "I can't do X, Y, and Z because I have a mortgage." It's like you know, you choose to have a mortgage. You don't. It's not. This is. This is all a choice. You could stop paying your mortgage. You could. Yeah, I mean, there's consequences to everything, but you could get away from that. And there's all kinds of other ways you could get out of your mortgage if that's, but you're choosing to pay that mortgage because of whatever reasons. And so, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of these things go back to that. And then having a choice in, in, in every part of your life, always having that choice. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm thinking about this cause I'm like, I've been marinating in the past couple of years about, do I want to have a house? And I've thought about all these different perspectives and there's all like the great debate of renting versus buying. And it's like, look, the answer is what are your priorities and preferences? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's cost benefits, there's trade-offs and everything. I tend to like consistency and I just want, I'm really valuing this sense of this is my place that I go back to and that sense of groundedness. But I also recognize, oh, that I'm going into this situation with a loan Okay, well, if I'm aware of that, and also, if I had changed my mind, you can change. Like, you're not right. attached forever. Yeah. You can, it might take a little bit of effort, and this is where he talks about the box trap. Yeah. Right? Where it might take a little bit of effort if you're trying to get out of a situation that you don't want to be in. Right. And so most people don't identify what are the next steps in order to untangle myself from this. Mm-hmm. And then they just stay in it forever, whether it's relationship or mortgage. And so he talks about, and I'm curious to hear maybe any situations where you were in a a box, like you went through a box trap or you got yourself out or whatever, but like you want to just lean into the the discomfort of having like an uncomfortable conversation with someone. But if you can just get through that, then you can be free of that relationship maybe. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, I've been a lot of I've been in a lot of traps like that before, where I, I was in a box. I mean, I think of work where it's like I had a job, and then I'm just I'm keep, I keep going to this job, and I got to find a way out. So I just 
for me with, with work, I just, when I'm done, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm just going to be done and I'm, I'm gone if I'm, I'm at, a, at a job. And that's something that it, 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 you know, every situation is going to be different, but, um, yeah, I've had, I've had, uh, situations that kind of took care of themselves where I, I was like, oh, I can't do this or that or all these things I want to do. And then, and then I got laid off and I'm like, oh, well now I'm out of the trap. <laughs> it's like, I never, when I got laid off, I had a job, corporate job that I got laid off from. I looked at that as getting out of a box. I looked at that as like, uh, I was like, I was so happy. All these other people that my coworkers were like, cause we all got laid, a bunch of people got laid off and they were all like sad. And I'm like, man, this is great. <laughs> like now I have choices. Now I have freedom. Now I can, I can go and do anything I want. I can not work. I can go get a minimum wage job. I can go back to the corporate world. I can start my own business. You know, there's so many options. And so, and you were free before that. Yeah. You could have quit. Right. Right. And that's, that's like a key point as well. Yeah. People feel, they think they're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the thing like that's, that, and then we could talk about a little bit about digital nomadism where it's like, I, I often had the one regret that I had when people say, Oh, I have to work because I have to pay my bills. And it's like, well, where do you live? Oh, I live in San Diego. Well, it's like San Diego is one of the most expensive cities in the world. Do you have to live in San Diego? No, but I've always lived here. So I have to live. It's like, no, you don't have to live, you know? And, and then you go, okay, where else could you live? Could you move to a cheaper place? Yeah. I mean, usually there's, there's a way out of this or even a less expensive part of town. Like, do you have to have all these things? And there's all these ways that, no, you don't have to have that job. You can get by with some doing other things. And I think that's kind of how I handled when I got, got out of the corporate world. Um, that's kind of how I handled, uh, finding what I wanted to do. I just did a whole bunch of different things. I was like, I don't know. None of them paid all that well, but they all were exposing me to different aspects of what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. That's why I'm so like lit up about eliminating the phrase have to. Yes. From your vocabulary. And I still like run into it like people that are very conscious people and like slipping into that. And I'm like, I mean, I'm such a detail oriented person that I'm just like, I catch every, every time I hear it, I'm just like, no, you don't have to <laughs> don't say it. It's yeah. like, it's not in your self interest. Mm -hmm. Cause you're, you're encoding this concept into your subconscious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just recognizing that no matter what, you, you can leave. There's cost benefits. You're choosing to stay in this job because you have benefits or a certain salary. Then you get to maintain a certain lifestyle, but the, yeah, take, I, take, take ownership, you know? Yeah. And, and just going to another trap. Um, and what, what's at the heart of, I think all these traps is the identity trap because yeah, I wanted to get to that one. Yeah. yeah I thought, okay. I thought we'd probably would anyway, but I, I think the, the identity trap is actually at a deeper level because, uh, you have to know who you are before you can decide a lot of these things. Cause if you don't, if you don't do that self-knowledge, if you don't, you don't have that self-knowledge, then it's really hard to make some of these decisions. Cause then it's like, you're always kind of on the fence of like, well, should I do this or should I do that? Or well, my, my mom wants me to do this. And I, and then you're, you're just kind of bouncing around like a pinball. But when you, when you get into self-knowledge and you, you can, you go deeper and you really know who you are, then those, those kind of decisions just, it's like, well, I, I already know, like, this is what I want. So this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, that trap is the one that stood out to me the most. And I remember hearing about it 
before I read the book some years ago from um, the Voluntary Life podcast. Yeah. Jake DeSillis. And he talked about that. And I was really, man, that was like really resonated with me because I'm in this situation at that time where I'm kind of fully immersed as a musician and then academia on this track to become professor and everything. I'm just like surrounded by at least my perceptions where I have these expectations upon me Mm. from the outside world about what I'm going to become. And that, it, that takes the courage when you can just say, no, I'm going to look in and do what I want to do and know myself and what I really, what's true to me and not getting sucked into this and that from others' expectations. You know, Nathaniel Brandon said, you're not on this planet to live up to anyone else's expectations. Right. And the identity trap was highlighting that. And now I'm thinking about uh, the Bronnie Ware. She wrote the book about the top regrets of the dying. Mm-hmm. And then like one of the top is people regretting that they didn't live a life true to themselves yeah. and that they lived based on expectations of others. And so like prying away like this shell that's placed upon you, at least, at least you are perceiving it that way, which completely makes sense. Yeah. Like your condition going through school and then like you just have all these beliefs that are programmed into you about you need to do what you're supposed to do. Right. But getting out of the identity trap is recognizing that you are a unique soul and your identity is something that you want to look in, in to figure out, um, and not placing these labels on yourself. So did you have any labels like that personally with the identity trap? Um, that you got out of? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it wasn't until I did any sort of introspection or self-work that I I started to understand what direction to go in my life. It took me a long time. I mean, um, so like I grew up and my, my whole life was sports. Yeah. So it was just, everything was sports. I, I was an athlete. I did swimming and, I was also a fan of sports, so I had like the posters of all my favorite professional athletes on my wall, and I would religiously listen to the um, the Oakland A's baseball games on the radio. Like I never missed a game; I listened to every single game or watched on TV. And it was like my whole life was sports. So I identified with that as me. That's who I am. I'm I'm an athlete, and I and I'm obsessed with sports. And so I got out of school, like college. I had no idea what to do because I was like there's no money in this. And like, I tried, I thought about like maybe trying to get a job at like a sports company or a, a or like a um, professional franchise, uh, sports franchise or something, but that, that never really panned out. And, and then I was just like, okay, but who am I? Like, what, where, where do I go now? And like, and it, it, it wasn't until I started to really read, you know, read books and really understand that there is more to my life than what I was taught in school and what my parents told me and what my coaches told me. And like, there's way more to this. And I think that that's, you know, this is where it gets to, to where it's so important that, that as many people as possible get in touch with this inner self that, that is, that is kind of like, um, uh, guiding you because 
you know, that's what the, that's what, it's like the, the, that's what they don't want you to do. You know, the system yes. doesn't want you to be in touch with yourself because then you're making all your own decisions and you can't be morphed. And, and so it's like, it is like coming out of the matrix. I, I, I look at it like that. I feel like that's what's happened in my own life. And I feel like that's what people need to do to, to have like this fulfillment and satisfaction with their lives on a regular basis. Yeah. That high self-esteem comes from that efficacy, that agency and getting in touch with your purpose, what matters to you, you know, that's why a lot of entrepreneurs are more high self-esteeming because they're creating their script in life, right? Instead of being a cog in a wheel. So yeah, getting in touch, this is how we change the world. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get into this. Exactly. Like, this is how you change the world yeah. is the self-knowledge. It's like, you know, it seems counterintuitive where it's like, what? The world is out there and I'm, I'm going to go in. Yeah. We're going to change the world through the, the going in. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Cause that's how you become free. That's how you become alive. That's how you become, live the good life and actualize is being in touch with your inner curiosity. What, what motivates you? So Let's dive in more of that, like the, the self-knowledge piece, self-esteem, you know, IFS, psychology, healing. Like you started getting into the Molyneux stuff <clears throat> and he, you know, let's just put our Molyneux disclaimer out there first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the disclaimer is it's kind of like the, uh, yeah, except in the case of self-defense, you have to say it every time. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause he was so good uh in his early days of his show 2006 to whatever 2010 or something Mm -hmm. and he was talking about just peaceful parenting and personal growth and forget politics and then it just morphed in other directions and um so we're we both gained a lot of value in particular about Freedom Main Radio Classic, mm-hmm. as we, you could call it, the early days of that show, when he's talking about these excellent concepts. So, what was that like? Like, it's sort of like a, a deeper red pill to take to start realizing that it's not just the political philosophy that you know we we've grown up with all this indoctrination about the nature of government but also that it goes back to your, your relationship with your parents, mm-hmm. that these authoritarian memes of do this or else goes back to that relationship with authority itself, uh, with parents and teachers, priests, etc. So what did that, how did that play out for you in terms of hearing some of these podcasts and he's encouraging you to really examine the truth of your own life, not just the truth Mm -hmm. of, you know, the macro world, but like to really dive in and do some of this psychological development. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, it, it was, it, it really like, that was part of what kicked off going into that deeper, um, introspection and and just for the specifics i mean i i was i was i was listening to a lot of stefan molno at that time and then also uh getting to know our mutual friend wes bertrand 
and he's also uh, you know a therapist of sorts. And like I got exposure to through that, I, I through Wes, I got exposure to Nathaniel Brandon, and so I was doing. Uh, I was listening to Steph. I was uh, reading Harry Brown. I was uh, reading Nathaniel Brandon, and like I was just going through all of this and and just getting to deeper and deeper and deeper levels and doing a lot of writing and, um, and that was. You know, I did a lot of that over the course of like six months to a year. And, and yeah, what I, you know, reading the, the, what is it on truth? Um, that was Steph's book reading that book. It was like, I was pretty blown away at the fact that I'd never really thought about the relationships I had in, in, in much depth with my parents. And I, I think that was, uh, something that I, it just, it just really shifted me because I always just thought if, if you would have before I read that book and before I got into any of this stuff, if, if someone would have said, oh, um, you know, how were your parents when you were growing up? What, what was it like? Did, did you did you love your parents or I would have just said, oh, yeah, they weren't perfect, but, they you know, they did. They did the best they could and, and they loved me and I love them and, you know, they're great. And that would be the extent of what I would, and I wouldn't even think any deeper than that. That was, that was the level of depth mm-hmm. where I, that, that I was at. And, and it just didn't occur to me to think much deeper. I mean, oh yeah, I had some problems with, you know, my mom in this regard and some stuff with my dad in this regard, but yeah, overall it was, you know, and that's an easy, that's a really, really easy way to think. It's, it, it lets you, it lets yourself off the hook because you don't have to really acknowledge much of anything. It's just kind of like, you know, that's it. And that's why I'm always suspicious when someone starts out with like, oh, my parents, uh, yeah, they did the best they could. And, you know, it's like, I'm like, okay, there's more to this. I know that for sure. Um, so, yeah. So uh, getting into the Nathaniel Brandon specifically, where he has this book called The Art of Self-Discovery, and it's a workbook. And you go through every part of your life, including every family member. So mother, father, siblings, and then you go like spouse, friends, everything. And that really like put a light on every single thing in my history. And it was it was just completely uh, illuminating. And I had days where I was doing some of those exercises where I just break down and cry. And it was like all this stuff was coming out. And I thought that was such an important part of my life, important part of my uh, growth. And now let's see your question again. <laughs> No, that that opens the door into this self knowledge topic that we're in now. So that yeah, yeah, it, yeah I, I want to read that or dive into that art of self discovery directly. I've done uh, several times over his, his thirty week programs he has in his yeah. website that I think overlaps with the art of self discovery. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that you just go to Nathaniel Brandon's website and he's got the sentence completion exercises. I'm still doing to this day. I just you can just copy and paste and, and do these sentence completion exercises. And sentence completion means you have a sentence stem, and then you complete that s- sentence um, with no filter with yeah. your subconscious. Just you um, complete the sentence like six to ten times. Mm-hmm. And then you get access to the subconscious, like what's really coming up? How do you really feel about this person? Um, I didn't realize he went through the like mother, father, siblings, friends like that. So I'm curious about because uh, I want to do more with like 
siblings in particular. Yeah. Um, it's good to kind of like spotlight that. But yeah, in general, just his work, Brandon's work of, of these sentence completion exercises is so powerful in the self-knowledge, in getting access to what you really think and feel. Yes. And that's like what you say with the person who says, oh, my parents did the best they could. That's not your true self. Saying right. that. That's a protector part. This is the IFS language that knows deep down that there's terror that's unprocessed. Yeah. And so the protector part comes out to keep that those uncomfortable feelings down. And then what we're doing is sacrificing this authenticity yeah. and this honesty. And so and we're losing out on the chance for true self-knowledge. And so there's a courage there to allow the subconscious to come up and integrate the child self, the teenage self, to integrate with your with your current self, and that creates that healthy that healthy uh, integration. Um, was that was there any question about doing that type of work? Like, you know, now I'm thinking about Ayn Rand, who is a mentor for Brandon. And her word evasion mm-hmm. and the evasion to turn away from the truth yeah, is what most people are doing because it's uncomfortable. I'm curious about that experience where it sounds like you and I share this where we, we came across some of these, these truths and we're like, wow, that's, that's surprising, shocking, maybe uncomfortable, etc. But I can't not keep going. Yeah, exactly. Like, I yes. can't turn back. Yeah. Was that the case for you? Exactly. You said it. Yeah, that's that's exactly where it was. Like the more I got into this, the the deeper it got, the more I needed more. <laughs> like I got to keep going. I got to find out more. It's like there, yeah, the, the, that thirst for knowledge. Just there was no, like I didn't have any, there was no point where I'm like, no, it's too scary. I was like, no, this is, this is everything. It's like my entire life is doing this work. That that's the way I felt. I didn't. Was there any apprehension or, or was there any like fear about? Oh, this is going to affect all my relationships. Well, at the beginning of that book, the on truth, he says Molina. He says, uh, if you uh, just a warning, reading this book is going to mess up your life. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I and I was like, I'm ready. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I I was already I was getting divorced. I mean I was getting yeah, you're I was, coming out of that chapter. Yeah, yeah, I was like I was splitting up with my I mean we were still together and we were just fighting and trying to figure things out and I didn't feel like I had anything to lose. That's I think that's the key right there. It's like nothing this is like to lose. Your thirties? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like thirties. So yeah, you were like ready for this next evolution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Molly talking about the um you know, he's got lots of metaphors and one of them is sort of a, a sea creature evolving to become a land mammal you know and, and sort of going from a gills to lungs and once you start like leaving the water a bit it's like you can't go back yeah like you've already lost one gill yeah that's right <laughs> what are you gonna do like yeah. you can't you can't pretend you don't know that and so, like, in some sense, people who are completely disassociated and haven't touched a red pill before, yeah, you know, all right, you're going to stay in your comfort zone, and uh, we can't necessarily fault them. 
in a sense. They're still evading, but it's a law of subconscious. But if you actually access this knowledge, yeah, and you start going down this path, it's like, what do you like? You're just lying to yourself. Really, you're aware of it too. Yeah, you're aware that you become aware that you're evading. So it's like. I remember that. I remember when I first came across him. He's talk, talking about you're gonna lose our relationships and or it's gonna just mess things up or whatever. I'm like, man, that sucks. Yeah. It was like, I don't want to do that. Sucks. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks. What the heck? Yeah. But so you had a little resistance with it. It was sort of like the seed was planted where I was like, I knew in the base of my gut that I was going to go through this process. Yeah. But. For me, it was early 20s, and I'm just, God, I just want to go, like, have fun and yeah. live, and I'm like, I don't want to attend to this. Yeah. But it, it started brewing, and it was all, like, developing, and I couldn't stop listening because of thirst for knowledge, yeah. you know? Because that's the true self. The true self is freaking curious. Right. And wants to be, to actualize. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so you started kind of, like diving into that and what other modalities kind of kicked in with you doing Brandon and what was the, like the next stage or what other stages you've, you've done some psychedelics you've done IFS therapy to some extent or work, like parts work um, was there other tools that really were were the next next steps that made, made, it, made a big impact yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, and I think after I did all the, a lot of the writing and a lot of the sentence completion work and all that, I think that was a, a launching point and I, I got so much out of that. And then I went and read just about all of Nathaniel Brandon's books and uh, some of them like honoring the self. I read that yeah. twice. I read it from co cover to cover. And then I just was like, that was so amazing. I got to read it again. So I just started reading it again. And I never do this. I don't do this with any <laughs> books. I just started from page one and I'm like, and I still, I still think that's an amazing book, Honoring the Self. And then, um, you know, I went through all of his books and I thought all of it, each one of them, like the art of living, no, what is it called? The art of living consciously? Yeah. Yeah. Living consciously. That was another one that I was like, I had never thought in that way before. And I, and it was just, it just blew my, I mean, it just opened me completely up. And so going through all those, even just reading, even though the writing is where you really get the impact, but even just reading some of that was was yeah just just amazing and uh you know as far as the, the the next steps that's a that's a good question i i think there was a period of time where i was like okay i'm 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 okay for a while i don't want to yeah. sit here and just do self-work constantly so i didn't do it for uh, a period of time but then things would come up and i'd find out another resource and i'd you know pick up a book or i'd uh, go back to sentence completion sometimes when i had to figure out a, a problem or an issue uh, I did do uh, uh, this kind of therapy called um, acceptance commitment therapy, ACT. It's like C it's similar to CBT uh, because I was dealing with some anxiety at one point, and I was like, I don't know where this is. I don't know what to do about this, and that seemed to work. I mean, that that seemed to get get me over the the anxiety just based on sort of like becoming aware of a lot of things instead of like you know you have an emotion like um, anger. And instead of like kind of accepting that I have that emotion, I would push it aside. I don't want to be angry. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. And then that, what that does is it, 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 it builds up and it builds up and any emotion like that. And it 
comes, it came out in me in the form of anxiety. And so, and that's what I learned through all that um, acceptance and commitment therapy. And so that was probably my next, that was probably my what next. What does that look like in practice? Like you just feel that feeling more and. Yeah. You, you just, you, you, you go to a point of acceptance with, with any sort of feeling or emotion that comes up and that's, uh, and then, and then instead of, uh, the commitment part is actually like saying, okay, I'm accepting this. I'm not like going to deny that it's there, but then I'm committing to some sort of action. Like, <clears throat> what is it that I can do? Like, uh, like, okay, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling stressed out. All right. I'm feeling, I accept that. I'm not denying it. Now, what is it that I'm stressed out about? Determine that. Like, yeah. The, the, okay. I'm stressed because I'm behind on this. I have a bill to pay and it's like, okay, what can you do? What's the action to do? And it's like, it's very logical and it's, it's not, um, overly complex, but it, it seemed to work for me like that, that sort of processing. This is, this is going to segue nicely into the last portion of our conversation about before we go there. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so what I just want to say, like, I didn't bring up, you said the next step. And for me, the next step really was NBC. So that, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not going to go yet to our last question. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Uh, yeah. That, I'm glad you mentioned NBC. Um, yeah. That acceptance piece is so crucial. And that's one of the six pillars of self-esteem from Brandon as well. But yeah, I'm just thinking about even earlier today, I was feeling this anxiety and what I've been, what I've been attempting to do is mm, intentionally magnify the feeling that I'm experiencing mm. to bring it up to like a, a level 10 and then see if I can release it. Um, but then I realized, and this is kind of integrating, I don't know if you've heard of Sedona method. I've heard of that. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Just sort of this, this process of, of, of like step by step releasing, uh, physiological sensations <clears throat> that you don't desire. Um, and one of the questions in, in the, that framework can be, um, can you let go of wanting to change it? Yes. Can I let go of wanting to change it? And I realized today that I was that like at least half of the, the tension in this sensation was related to I wanted to not have this tension. Yes, exactly. That's, <laughs> it was just like I yeah. had the tension by itself. Yeah. But then I'm just like, there's like the subconscious energy of like, I'm so like frustrated that this even is here. Yeah. You know? And then you realize, can you let go of wanting to change it? That's like a, a, been a really valuable tool of, of like a meta acceptance tool. Yes. And then you can accept the actual sensation. It's, it's the paradoxical thing. It's just like we talked about with the weight loss with a healthy mind fit body. It's like you first have to accept where you are. And and most people that are trying to lose weight, they don't really, they don't succeed because they don't accept where they are. They're, they hate themselves the way they are. They're like, Oh no, I'm fat. I don't want to be. So it's paradoxical because you have to accept the thing that you don't really want. It's like, Yes, I am a hundred pounds overweight. Yes, that's who I am right now. And then we move to the next step. Now, what do we do? You know, and it's the same with, yeah, like any of these emotions. Yeah. And it's feeling and experiencing it. Brandon talks about that. It's not simply saying it in your head. Right. I accept this, but it's actually the full body sort of weighted acceptance mm -hmm. of what is. And he, he talks about, you can't leave a place you've never been. Right. And so when you fully wholeheartedly accept 
what is, then you can move on to that third pillar, which is the practice of self-responsibility. What mm-hmm. am I going to do? Yeah. But let's integrate the NVC piece because, first of all, I thank you for bringing NVC into my life because you told me <laughs> that you brought it to Wes yeah, that's right. like 10 plus years ago and then Wes brought it on School Sucks podcast and then I, I caught on there. Yeah, uh, that's just that. That just goes to show because one of the themes of this podcast is is ripple effects. Ripple effects, and yeah. like you found MVC in like 2010 or something, yeah. and then you showed it to somebody, and then that like had this huge ripple on like an entire group of people, and right. in this sort of voluntarist world. Um, but yeah, t- tell yeah, just talk about um, how that impacted you that that framework. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, I have to credit uh, my friend Trevor in San Diego. I mean, he brought me that book. Like he's like, he gave me the, the book. I'll never forget. It was a, I think it, it, I know it was in the winter. I think it was a Christmas present. And he's like, I think you'd really like this book. And it was a really, for me, it was like, it was, it was kind of strange. I was like, you're giving me a book. Like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I think you'd like it. And I'm like, okay. So I sat, I read it and I thought it was really interesting, and I, I, it was like kind of um, an extension of what some of the stuff that Mullenu was talking about with communication, but it was much, de- much to me, it was much better. And for some reason, I, I read the book, then put it on my shelf, and then a few months later, I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't go, oh, let me go tell everybody. I just kind of like, and then a few months later, I was dating somebody, and I thought, oh, this would probably be good for a relationship. It's like, this would probably be, you know, like that would probably help me. So I started to read it again. And that's when I, I read it again. It was like the second time. And I go, holy shit, this is amazing stuff. Like this whole thing with empathy. And I mean, like this, this is life-changing stuff. And I told Wes, and I'll never forget because he's like, he's like, really? He's like, that doesn't seem right. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, it's like, it's like RTR on steroids. RTR was real time relationships. That's the Mullen's book. And he's like, he's like, I got to read it to find out. So, so then he read it and then it was like, he got it out there to so many people. And so that's how it all started. But yeah, for me, it was um, going through some of this, the, the stuff with my parents. For me, I didn't have uh, the issues with my parents until I was going through all this work and I started to have some issues with my parents. And then I was using, um, I mean, I, I didn't know NBC at that time. So I thought about this whole thing of defooing. I, I was like, I was at my wits end because I was not getting along with either of my parents. It was, it was at a point where I couldn't talk to my mom. It just, it was really, really hard to talk to my mom. I talked to my dad, but I, there were issues on both sides. So, and defooing is, um, dis, what's the actual D word? Yeah. It's, uh, disassociate from your family of origin. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, so I was going through this thing and, and I was kind of at my wits end and then I I read NDC and I was like, oh, well, empathy, like I never thought of that. Yeah. Like it was just like, I could empathize with them. It doesn't, I don't have to agree with them. So we were arguing about things like politics and, and just lifestyle and this stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't have to agree with them. There's no reason I have to agree with them, but I can find this empathy for them. And I, I took that that part of NBC and I was like, I went home for Christmas that year and I was like, 
I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to be assertive. I'm not going to like back down and say, oh yeah, you can just, you know, like, you, you, like, like let them say things and challenge me without saying anything back. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to have empathy. Like, okay, that's what they believe. That's how they think. Okay. I can be calm. I can step back and, and say, I don't agree with that, but there's no reason to get angry, get upset, get in a fight. There's no reason for any of that. So I went in, I went in that Christmas like that and my whole relationship, everything changed for me, for them. It was probably the same. They probably didn't even really think much of it, you know, but, but for me, it was, everything was completely different because there were times when there were things that could have triggered me. And I, and I'm like, okay, empathy. I'm like, and I went right. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I understand. You know, you, you think that and okay. And I didn't, didn't argue, didn't, you know, there were no fights. There were no conflicts on that trip. And you still, <clears throat> you still thought you were able to get your need for assertiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Cause that's always the, been that balance for me that's been you know a key a challenge point of like how can I have both compassion empathy understanding the other person the other party and then still say what I think yeah how'd you how'd you straddle that well I mean some of it was I remember talking to uh, another friend at that time and he said he kind of went through something similar where he was having all these problems with his parents and then he said there was a point in time where he, he's, he's thinking about his parents and he's like, these are two old people that have lived their entire lives this way and with this, these thoughts in their heads. And he's like, I'm not going to change them. There's yeah. no thing, nothing that I am going to do or say or that's going to change them. And he's like, and then I thought of them and I thought, you know, it's kind of sad for them that they're like yeah. this. And he's like, I had a tremendous amount of empathy for them. And I just, I'm like, and then he's like, my, my relationship with them just completely improved and I'm just letting them be. There's acceptance are. there too. Yeah. 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 And then you bring in the trauma piece. Right. And, and that's in some ways with its MVC and trauma legs where Molyneux stopped growing, mm-hmm. where you can get curious about, oh wow, this person, I mean, Molyneux talked about, about trauma, of course, but having this true um, compassionate lens and moving beyond judgment and yeah. right versus wrong, which is what NBC brings in. Exactly. Like, you know, going beyond right doing and wrongdoing and, and getting curious about the needs. And so when you bring in the NBC piece and you bring in the trauma perspective and you can kind of, you can feel that sadness for like, wow, these people have, or this, you know, they're old and they're really calcified in their belief system. Yes. And a lot of that police system was programmed in. Yeah. And it is what it is. And it's, it's, I can sort of have an acceptance and mourning. Like I like to I can accept, wow, like my parents went through 15,000 hours of public school. Yeah. Well, like. I think that might affect them a little bit. <laughs> you know, like for me this past year with doing a lot of psychedelics and getting more in touch with this compassionate perspective with Mike, with my father, like, wow, my father was born right after World War II and his parents had just gotten out of concentration camps. Yeah. I wonder what that was like. I still don't really know much details about those early years. Uh, but you can sort of get curious and ponder. Yeah. Oh, this is the this is the early wiring of my father's brain. Right. 
and then have this like meta wide perspective um awareness of of like how your parents came to be yeah you know and it's a tricky balance because you want to not uh you want to still assign responsibility for what they did or what they've done, who they are. Like everything they're doing is their responsibility. Right. And you also don't want to evade your own psychology where it's like, right. Oh, I'm just going to have empathy for them. Yeah. And then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to self-assert or I'm not going to acknowledge that they hurt me. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that they, they did the best they could and they didn't, they were completely unconscious of it and they have no responsibility for it. It's like, how can we, how can we have that walk the line there where you're like, you know, and Molly talks about like, they could have, they could have had a growth mindset, you know, but they didn't. Yeah. Yes. It's true. And why is that? Yeah. Perhaps they're just so overwhelmed from their own trauma. Right. And it's like this duality of like, yes, it's a yes. And it's from from my perspective, from my in my opinion, where it's like we can acknowledge both that they were responsible. As Brandon says, like you, you always have the choice to think or not to think. Right. This is the nature of living consciously. And our you know, parents didn't think. They didn't. They didn't heal. Well, can we be curious about like what what might have stopped them? You know, yeah. from their own trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to get into there. I, I, for, for me, like the, the memory that stands out with being assertive, um, I mean, there was, there were several times when I had to be assertive, you know, after I kind of discovered this whole idea of empathy, but you, you chose to be assertive. Yeah. You didn't have to. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, we'd go to church every year on Christmas and I just went along with it for my adult life. I had no interest in religion. I don't, I wasn't even an atheist. I just didn't have any interest in religion. I didn't care, but I didn't care one way or the other. I'm just like, I'll just go to, I know my mom wants us to all go. So I just would go. And then the one year I come back and I'm like, they're getting ready to go to church for Christmas service, you know, mass. And, uh, I was like, all right, I'll see you guys when you get back. And I was just being incredibly assertive at that point. And, uh, my mom was really surprised and I was like, I was ready for anything. I was ready for her to get yeah. super angry. I was ready for whatever. And she's like, Oh, Oh, you're not going. And I'm like, no, no, I'll be, I'll just hang out here. I'm going to do some stuff here. Oh, okay. And then they're, they're still getting ready. And then she comes over to me before they leave. And she says, I really wish you would go. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. And that was it. There was no other discussion of, how did that feel in that moment? Was it like uncomfortable in- internally? I felt really, uh, n- actually not uncomfortable. I felt like I, that was the first time I was, you know, like really assertive with this kind of thing where it's like, she's telling me she wants. That was to- like a decision you had kind of worked up to as yes. like a big decision. You were going yes. to say no to this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, and I was at peace with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't think the, um, I, I felt, I felt empowered. I felt like, uh, a, a high level of self-esteem when I stood yeah. up for myself. Yeah. When you say no, when you want to say no, yes. it feels good. Exactly. That's, that's that self-assertiveness principle, pillar of self-esteem and 
you just get that like physiologically like you feel this boost yeah like the first time i like confronted my mother it was like the the most challenging experience of my life and the most like liberating high (laughs) experienced right (laughs) like after the phone call i was like wow i did i like said what mattered to me yes you know (laughs) that's right uh yeah but like bringing in the mvc can can get you out of that um enemy imagery yeah is what exactly marshall rosenberg founder of of non-mal communication would, would label it when we were pointing fingers and, and otherizing people yeah rather than huh what needs are is this person seeking and so then like then you can create this win-win as best as possible where you can acknowledge that they're seeking needs and also get your own needs met and leave the place of judgment yeah so yeah, let, let's let's highlight this acceptance piece in relation to the world mm-hmm. <laughs> in this last portion of the conversation and seeing the world as it is, having acceptance for it while... Like, let's just match this with the second pillar of self-esteem, mm-hmm. self-acceptance, and the third pillar, which is self-responsibility and taking action. Um riff on that a bit in terms of the acceptance piece and it's something I think especially people in this worldview of voluntarism of of no government as the desire and valuing freedom independence autonomy you know this past couple of years in particular there's been an increase the, the frogs getting boiled at a higher temperature yeah um, with more more of these um, tragic expressions of of childhood trauma with authoritarian top-down measures, um, more control seems to be amping up, and that is frustrating. And um, there's a I'm feeling a sense of despondency to some degree. Yeah, this part of me is, and there's also a lot of energy that we are involving ourselves in right now yeah. here in Austin to build a f- beautiful future and like let's build a renaissance there's a lot of areas that are uh, possible reasons to be optimistic right so yeah riff on riff on this this duality here of accepting what is in the world while taking action well, it goes back to our, I mean, what we were talking about with accepting emotions, it's, it's yeah. not, it's really not that different because the fighting energy actually produces more of what is, if you're, if you have that fighting energy, whether it's your own anxiety or anger or whatever it is that you're, you're sort of pushing back against, it's going to keep growing. And it goes back to even the idea of prohibiting alcohol, like everything you prohibit, everything you push away and, and fight back again, well, all that stuff, it just keeps growing the other side. And that's why I'm, I'm, I've been really insistent on this thing of not being anti things, being anti war, I'm anti government. I'm no, I, I don't want to have that. I don't want, because you're, then you're, you're promoting that thing in some way, just like how Donald Trump, like that's how he won the election. That's how he had so much 
like incredible amount of fame, like the most famous person in the world, because he's happy when they're when they're knocking him down. They're trying to knock him down because they're using his name. You know, CNN was the biggest, um, you know, uh, publicity or PR firm for Donald Trump than anyone. And they, and they, they, they tried to rip him apart every night. So, you know, the same thing with, with this situation in the world right now, like the more we, we get angry over, and I get it, I, I get, I feel yeah. it too sometimes. I'm not immune to that, but the more we get angry over, you know, the mask mandates, you know, the, now the vaccine passport and this and that, it's, it's like, we need to first be able to accept that that's the way it is. And we even had a discussion in our, in our signal group today about like, you know, I, I'm, I've been feeling some sadness over some losses lately. And, you know, part of it has to do with some of the changes that have happened in the world. And, um, and I think that, you know, we, we, we have to like, that was what came up was that like most things are under your control. Most of these things are actually under your control. Some aren't, but most things are. So you want to choose, you know, just for the, the mask example, uh, you want to choose to not wear a mask, then you just don't wear a mask. Now, maybe everybody around you in the supermarket is wearing a mask, but that's just, you know, what, how does that actually affect you? Is that, is that specifically, I mean, you know, that's where it becomes like really, really important to, to be uh, psychologically as well off as you can be. Because this stuff is hard. It's not, it's not easy to go through this world in the way it is with the frog boiling and things are cranking up lately. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, I think it, it, it really takes like a, it takes that part of it, the self-knowledge, the work to do to, to make yourself mentally, psychologically strong. And then there's also the practical elements of it. You know, like, what can you do? Okay, we've accepted this. Now what can we do? Um, you know, if you go back to the Harry Brown stuff, it's like protesting at the Capitol is not really going to be a great use of your time because then you're, again, you're just fighting back and pushing back on it. But could you come up with something like what we're trying to do here in Austin, uh, come up with something that is promoting a better way of living, a, a more peaceful, um, celebratory, celebratory. That's fun, it. Yeah. Playful, fun, playful. Exciting, yeah. Everything. Enriching. Yeah. And, and, and start with that and you start with yourself and then build it from there because yeah, like I, I, you know, what, what else can we do? I mean, you know, wait, wait three more years and, and go to the, go to the, the polls and vote. I mean, like that's, you know, it's kind of over, but Dave Smith's going to run. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm excited about that in, in some way, but yeah, some way, uh, the acceptance yeah, this is why. <laughs> this is why I'm still motivated about this podcast because I really feel so strongly about mm-hmm. that. It's like go back to your own self, the physiology of the feelings you're experiencing. Can you name the feelings? Can you live consciously and accept what is? That's fundamentals, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah, like yes, the it, there's more external pressures perhaps that are with the frog getting boiled at a higher temperature and how can you continue to practice these fundamentals where wow i'm noticing this in my body right here you know near my ribcage i'm feeling this this tension can i become aware of it right 
instead of like the like kind of hacking at the branches a bit of like oh I'm f- like this thing is happening in the world and then I'm having a response to it but like and so you want to get rid of the thing out there yes and what you want to start with is releasing the thing that's in your own body that's responding to that thing yeah so there's the sensation and the emotion that's coming up and then you can move through that there is there is a okay so this is something that kind of curious what you would think about this like there is something and i think this is why people jump into these camps you know like i'm i'm a right wing i'm left wing and then they can the other side is bad and they can they, they, they do they get the reason they do that is they get a good feeling they're like oh i'm with these guys this is my crew here i'm with the d team or the r team or whatever and and, and these are my people and and there's a feeling they get just like patriotism you know, like I'm with this flag and look at all the things that we have done. And, and, and there's, there's that, but then with, with the idea to to try to change the world, doing more of that is only going to reinforce. It's only going to just keep the thing going. That's been going for a long time now. Right. And so, um, how do we, balance that like the, the there's a human nature and i even have that sometimes where i'm like yeah i'm with my anarchist buddies and we're like fuck the government and, <laughs> and fuck the mass and the in the system and, and the and the vax pass and all that and i'm like I, I i kind of feel like is there a need for that i mean is there some need for that because i i do feel that like I, I get something out of it well there's a need for belonging right and connection and shared reality so those those are some of the tribal needs that you're you're um ref- referring to with like d versus r and, and and you know I'm thinking about this book Tribe by Sebastian Younger and he really highlights like the nature of the tribal pull horizontal pull mm. of groups and there's a lot of value in having tribes and there's a real human need where it's just it's wired into us to have this social cohesion. So the the challenge for humans is to have our cake and eat it too, where we can get the need for belonging, acceptance, or you know, belonging, community, connection, and support, as well as needs for autonomy, authenticity, choice, self-esteem, independence, and freedom. So that's 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 the evolution that's to the next stage for humans that mm-hmm. we're looking to to forge here and that, but it goes back to the self because you need to be in touch with those needs and so there's nothing wrong with wanting to have that sense of group you know the question is are you sacrificing your autonomy and your, your true self are you right. you know it really stood out to me in that book tribe he's talking about in particular um Military situations as brotherhood in a military group, as well as when communities are in times of, of crisis and a war situation. If there's a bomb, then people are in bomb shelters together and they're like supporting each other in this tribal way, or the power goes out and people are like supporting each other. And so there's, there's, a, there's value in the bonding, mm-hmm. but what happens in the typical sense is there's a, a, the self is gone. Right. The true self is gone. 
And it's like, how can we have both? Yeah. How can we get the self-esteem need, the self-assertiveness, the honesty, the integrity, and then create the connection as well? So I'm not sure where I'm going with that now. (laughs) Yeah. It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing because there are a lot of people that I think, you know, we run into here in Austin and, and other places that we might share political beliefs with. But it's kind of the same thing. What I was just saying is like, we're both like against the same things. And we're like, yeah, it shouldn't be this way. And it shouldn't be that way. And look at these people doing this and look at those people. And, and can you believe that this happened? And, and there is, yeah, there's a, there's a level of connection that we have there, but then if they're not doing this sort of psychological work and building themselves up, then what are we doing? Like, what are we going to do? What are we accomplishing here? We're just against the thing that's that, that, that we don't want. And so I see it as like there's there has to be the two components. We can't just be anti-state because that's that's it's just never going to to change things in the way that we want them to change. Yeah, and, it, and again, going back to the intrinsic motivation, it's an opportunity. It's mm-hmm. so amazing. Yeah, so much possibility and joy and wellness and well-being, enrich, enriching experience. Like the amount of joy that I get to experience through all the self-work that I've done, sense of integration and like getting seen by people like friends like yourself, people who are like really celebrate me because I've like created, not only created the friendships, but also done the self-work to be able to bring value to the friendships. Right. That's like, there's no, there's no, um, oh, I'm doing this to save the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it is by extension evolving humans to yeah. to change the world. Like it's a win-win. And that's that's a key here is is only doing it because you want to do it, not because there's some like urgent like desperation to change things. Right. And yeah. Then, yeah. That's that urgent desperation I think is 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 the one of our one of the things that we face is as sort of a, um, a block, there's a block there of the urgent desperation because you probably know people as well that especially during, you know, when COVID hit, it's like, Oh, now we really need to be pragmatic and we need to, we need to get into, you know, like we need to have a vote for these people or whatever it is. And they sort of are getting away from this idea of true self. And I think that's, that is a, that is definitely a challenge to get past. Um, but, you know, really it comes down to like, th- this is ultimately, it's going to affect us as individuals beneficially as well as the world. So there's nothing else that we can do. And we might as well have a good time doing it, right? It's like... Yeah, having the good time, being so happy that others become happy too, that, that's changing the world. Like yeah. That is being free. Yeah. And that likely entails facing dragons. As I like to say, like looking at the fact that the belief in authority comes from authoritarian parenting, that when you were a child, you were punished. Yeah. Your parents hurt you. Like, I'm comfortable saying whoever's listening to this podcast, your parents hurt you as a child. Right. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if I get, if I get emails with people defending themselves, that's just a signal to me that 
their parents hurt them as a child. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and that could mean, that could mean different levels, of course. Um, physical abuse or just you weren't nourished emotionally, you mm-hmm. weren't seen and celebrated in your true self. And that's like, that red pill is like really challenging. Face that dragon, you know? Yeah. But that when we face the dragons, then we get to move to the other side of that and have this self-integration because you're not denying those parts of yourself. Right. And you're connecting with the inner child within and the inner teenager. Yeah. And like, that's what this is all about, man. Like I'm getting choked up because it's like, it's about the child. Yeah. Like it's about new generations about peaceful parenting. It's, we can't have peaceful parenting without the inter internal work. And we're never gonna we're never gonna evolve as humans unless we face these dragons. But the, right. but the benefit of, of all that is like this joy. Yeah, that's what Molony was really inspirational for me in those days when he would talk about like living with a sense of like such overjoy. Yeah, we get to like create a new world. You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it, it's it it's the only way we're going to have people talk about revolution. We need a revolution. And it's like, but we really need an evolution. And the only way we're going to have that is this dealing with these parts and dealing with, you know, traumas and dealing with, uh, the inner work that needs to be done. And so I think that what we're doing here in Austin is awesome because we're going to make it cool. (laughs) You know, it's going to be cool. It's not going to be like, Oh, those, those people are doing something like really extreme or hard or whatever. It's just like, no, this is going to be, and it already is like, we already have like a thing going here. So yeah, we'll, we'll save the details of that for, <laughs> yeah. for maybe the future. Yeah. But, yeah uh, that's going to be another topic. But I, but I want to talk more, let's leave, end this show with, with optimism in, yes, in what is possible with this sort of Renaissance and the different components that can come together. Like, what like I, I'm optimistic about the increased awareness of of trauma in this world, yeah. like the fact that Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is from like 2014, and it was like no one knew about it really then. And now, mm-hmm. and like a few months ago, I saw it on display in the airport. Wow, that's a signal to me. Yeah, um, the fact that Michael Malice. Yeah. Wrote the Anarchist Handbook a few months ago, and this went number one nonfiction on Amazon. Yeah. That's a powerful signal. The fact that psychedelics are increasing in their permeating into the, the consciousness, and yeah. there's Oregon decriminalized all drugs, and like. Right. Let's paint some pictures for these coming years about how we're like, what's, what's exciting what, and how this world can rebirth. You know? Yeah, no, I think it's happening in so many ways. It's like, you really have to turn off the media to, to really, uh, embody this and embrace it. Because if you watch, if you, if you sit there on Twitter and if you pay attention to the news and if you go through that, you, you will have a feeling that everything is falling apart because that's all they're going to present to you. That's all that. Like, if you go to Twitter and you look at the, like, what are the headlines? Is there anything positive there? I mean, it's all just like negative, 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 negative. Everything's terrible. Coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's, it's just, 
fear. It's fear. It's fear porn, and that's all you'll see. But if you if you really, I mean, the the real world is there are things happening that are amazing, like the things you just mentioned. What about Bitcoin? I mean, it's 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 absolutely changing things. It's already changing things, and it's like, I mean, a country even adopted Bitcoin as its currency. I mean, it's like things are happening at an accelerated rate. I invested in this company that is creating the decentralized social media or decentralized media, and they are selling out. It's basically you own your own node, so nobody's censoring anything. So you can just follow people. You can you can start your own. You can start your own um, page. You can uh, pay people in Bitcoin on on the app, and it's taking off. It's already taking off. Like this is happening. It's not just a like. Well, maybe someday. You know, these are amazing things that are out there and they're happening. And then you know, technology is. I mean, there's all kinds of technology things. You know, so it's like that's where I see the optimism is like. There, the optimism is away from the quote unquote mainstream media, mainstream social media. Like that's where it is. And there's already decentralized social networks being built. I mean, it's, it's happening now and it's, it's going to be a very interesting next couple of years, two, three, four years, I think. And despite the fact that we're going to have this sort of, um, economy, this, this kind of like what we see is the economy is, is sort of faltering. I think we'll have just unbelievable things happen, you know, outside of that. Yeah. In a sense, there's an optimism about the increase in authoritarian measures mm-hmm. because I see that as act of desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm reading this book, the sovereign individual, oh, which yeah. I know you've read. Yeah. Great book from 1997. And yeah. these guys are like calling cryptocurrency. Yeah. And they're talking about, sort of 500 year cycle where you had 500 years ago the church dissolved and, and it's sort of central authority place in society and he's, and they're hypothesizing that now it's another 500 year end of an era of the nation state itself yeah and that the information age is actually going to create obsolescence of the nation state automatically um and so yeah there's just there's just a lot of there's a lot of um moving parts at once but i think it's worth highlighting like something like bitcoin you know bitcoin is is not dealing with childhood trauma (laughs) (laughs) that's right like creating bitcoin doesn't um doesn't do the work of facing the authoritarian memes. Um, but it's a, it's a yes and thing again. Right. You know, where if you can have this centralized currency become obsolete, then that frees so many people from dependence upon that system and it creates yeah. wealth. And then you're appreciating value in your wealth and then there's a lot more like you can raise you can rise up on massive hierarchy yeah it's the boot on the neck i mean you you take the boot off the neck with with a decentralized form of money and then you've got room to breathe you got room to grow it's it's going to be yeah i think it's it absolutely goes hand in hand with what we're talking about yeah yeah and and so people become 
more available psychologically as well to do some of that inner work. Maybe yeah. Like there's so many people are just struggling financially. Right. And it's because of the freaking Federal Reserve. In yeah. many ways, that is the reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that it's like, there's all these, uh, like plates spinning at once. Yeah. Right. And that's how I see this, this can play out with cryptocurrency and then trauma, trauma, non-violent communication and psychedelics interplaying. And, uh, we haven't even talked about like teal consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> oh, there's so much, there's so much, I mean, even just you talking, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I feel excited. It's, there's a lot of really, really positive things that are happening in the world and are just going to keep getting stronger. And no matter how much we see the authoritarianism increase, this will also increase at the same time. So. Yeah, and I just want to like leave, like kind of like leave everybody with this: like you get to choose what you put your attention on. Right. You mentioned the Twitter feed and stuff. It's like, yes, we're not by being optimistic doesn't mean you're denying the nature of reality in these these uh, authoritarian measures that are happening it's not denying reality this goes back to self acceptance you're yeah. accepting the truth yes and then you take self responsibility yeah what are you going to do if the, if if you're getting chased by the lion you're just going to stop yeah right you're going to let the lion eat you like what are you going to do you're going to run yeah yeah. Do dude. something, right? Yeah. And so this is the reality. Like, I mourn it. It's really sad. I wish that trauma didn't exist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then none of this stuff. I wish right. we were all just living right now yeah. in a flourishing world where there's no poor people. Yeah. There's no physical child, there's no child abuse. There's no. And we have flying cars. <laughs> it's amazing. We're hanging out with the, with the aliens. Yeah. We're just hanging out with them, <laughs> having fun. That's right. But but this is the reality. Yeah. And let's accept and then let's build what we want. And like put your attention towards the future you want to create and enjoy it in the process. Yeah. Have fun with it. Exactly. It's not it's not um we're not saving the world, we're savoring it. Yeah. And we save the world through savoring it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Rock on, Kevin. It's cool. been a blast. I really appreciate the the episode and our friendship and you coming on the show here and it was a really good conversation uh any parting words or places you want yeah. to send people to find more uh, about you yeah well thanks for having me on joel i really appreciate it i mean i've been listening to your show since the beginning and i find it really helpful and i i, I like that you've done something different with your podcast it's not let's go interview, you know, hard charging entrepreneurs. I mean, that's, that's like, everyone's doing that. And I, every episode that you do, I get something out of it. And I feel like I'm grateful for that. And I'm super grateful for being on the, on your podcast as well. Uh, oh, as far as my stuff goes, um, freedomloving.com. I'm, uh, I should have that the, <laughs> redesigning it now. So I should have that done pretty soon. And, um, I, I'm going to start my podcast again, and you inspired me to do that because it's been many, many months since I've done a podcast, and I'm going to start talking about freedom again uh, very soon. So, um, yeah. Rock on, Kevin Cascella. Appreciate it. Let's go. Let's go build a new world. Let's let's savor it as we build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>